Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. You sent your only son. And so I just said, guys, let's just do our best. The, the fact that we can't give him what he gave us, that's no reason not to give him our best, right? As a matter of fact, it's, it's a good reason to live for him and live our best for him. And for our church this morning, the people um, who would consider this your home church, you know, you're, you're saved, you're hopefully, you know, following the spirit, living, uh, you know, and you're part of this vision of this house. That means you, you come here, um, you, 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 you do your best to, to fill the needs, to fill the gaps, and to push this thing forward, this kingdom forward in the church that God's given us to be a part of. If you feel like, you know, that's you, then this is what I have, you know, for you. I want us to be on the same team. What we can give as a church today is our worship, which we've already got into a little bit. You guys are worshiping good. That's great. Um, But we could also facilitate the giving of the gift that he cares most about in the whole universe. And maybe we can be a small part of the giving of that gift, the hearts of his sons and daughters that he's separated from. You know? How bad... Did God have to miss you to do what he did? How, you know, he wasn't okay. You know, whenever you really, really miss somebody, you know, you stay up at night and you just, uh, you you, you think about them all the time. Everything, you know, food doesn't taste like it's supposed to. And, uh, you know, you just, you're not into the things that you're normally into whenever you just, whenever your heart, you know, is just incomplete. How bad did God have to miss you in order to put into motion what we're here for today? To send his only son and that precious baby in that manger that would grow into a man that would be punished brutally and killed. That's really hard. I think, uh, you know, I can, I can eat steak. Can I, I can eat steak, but... It'd be a lot harder for me, I guess, if I was going to raise that calf, you know, and bottle feed it and just walk with it every day. And, you know, that's like my little buddy. And then raise it up and then one day just be like, all right, buddy, our, our relationship dynamic is going to change now. <laughs> I'm going to eat this steak. That's, that that would be a lot harder for me. I don't know. So, I mean, I know farmers do it. My father-in-law, you know, my brother-in-law, they do it. They raise, you know, beef cattle. That'd be harder for me. How hard is it for God to look into the manger? from heaven and see his son there and know that he'll grow strong and he'll grow tall and he'll do all these things he'll do miracles and one day you will have to turn your back on him and let these bullies these wicked people who are the real problem in the first place who don't deserve him watch them kill him and torture and mock Man, he must love you guys. Something fierce. He must love us quite a lot. It's the most awkward of gift exchanges. See, my family, uh, my family ha- is uh, more, more on the passive-aggressive side. Uh, my <laughs> my wife's family, they just blow up, and then you know, five minutes later, they're like, you know, they want to, you know, just you know, like nothing ever happened. Hey, who's okay? 
who's got the family dynamic where, you know, you're real careful and then you've, but somebody says something and it's, it's real weird and awkward in there for like the next 45 minutes and then nobody says anything, but you know it's just hovering? Do you have that family? Is that kind of how you guys deal with conflict? Okay, there's not that many. How many of you guys just blow up and go nuts and then you're okay like 10 minutes later? Okay. Yeah, we, yeah we're, we're in the minority. Because, uh, we, you know, we, we, you know, but the, on the other hand, those people will say terrible things to each other all the time. And it's a really hurtful stuff. And, uh, you know, my family, you know, is a little more decorum when it comes to that. Like, you know, we're a little more passive when it comes to our anger one with another. And, but you can tell. So in our, our family, um, our, our passive-aggressive uh, our passive aggressive argument comes out in, uh, in controlled settings at Christmas time, okay? Because I've never been a part of the, uh, of the, the family who, uh, who just argues, like, politics and you know, that kind of stuff, like, real hardcore every Christmas, you know? Like, you know, I, I, is that ever happened to you guys? Like, you have these you crazy fights, and you get into it, and you have big blow-ups, so we don't do that. Like, you know, ours comes out, like, in a controlled manner. And so whenever we go down to Grandma's, usually it's on... Uh, you know, the, the day after Christmas, we all get down there, and uh, we, we, we kind of like, uh, we, we, we have controlled, you know, outbursts and rage, like, you know, the conflict. So we used to, like when we were kids, we used to play tackle football, and that, you know, that was a great way to just, you know, get our conflict out, get all of our strong personalities on the field, and then we just hit each other. Um, that was fun. And then it kind of changed, you know, people stopped playing football as much, and we got into boxing. And this is crazy, but we would have, like, these fight rings downstairs in Grandma's house. And so all the, and how many cousins are there? There's a thousand. There's, like, 27 original OGs, and then there's a whole bunch of, you know, uh, married-ins, um, you know, so, and they're great, too. But, uh, you know, you know the, the, the blood cousins, you know, whoever was in kind of the same uh, weight class and age bracket, uh, we would put on the boxing gloves and just beat each other on Christmas. <laughs> Does anybody remember that? Sarah, my sister, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, she, uh, she was, you know, a girl, and they get strong, bigger and stronger than the girl, than the boys do at that age, um, you know, and she was, uh, you know, she, she put her hands on Zach and Stephen, about threw them through the wall, it was great, you know, they were in the age bracket, but she was way stronger, that's my lovely sister Sarah, say hello, yeah, dude, I'm telling you, Jerry, dude, she messed Zach Jarvis up, he still ain't right, <laughs> that's not why. That's not, anyway, moving right along, moving right along. Uh, then we kind of, we grew up a little bit, and uh, we fixed, uh, you know, we fixed some of the parameters of our, of our aggression, our fighting. So we start, anyone ever played the game Mafia? Yes. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, where you're like, you're all in a circle, and you have to figure out who, you know, who's the bad guy, who killed everybody, and then you're supposed to kind of trick each other, and they're all a bunch of bull-faced liars. You know, they were playing the game, but it's like, you know, a heads-up game, and we, so we would all get into that. And because uh, we, we have to have something super aggressive, you know, to, to, I guess, facilitate who we are as a family. And then it kind of changed from that. Like, you know, Jill and Josh ruined it because they got mad at each other, thought they were going to get a divorce right on Christmas over, like, who was the bad guy. And uh, then we kind of shifted from that to try and control it a little further. And we got into what, you all know about this white elephant gift exchange business? You know about this? This this dirty Santa, what, you know, something sneaky Santa. What, what do you guys call it? Secret Santa, Secret Santa? okay. No, that's, that, that's not it. But uh, it's, uh, it, it, that is a different one. Um, what, what do you, you know what I'm talking about, though? Yeah. The white elephant. Anybody have a, another name? 
Okay, so you all, we're all talking about the same thing. And this is where you come with uh, you know, your $15 or $20 gift, whatever it is, $5 gift, and then you steal one from another, and then you open up all the gifts, and then you try to leave that place um, having won the best gift. And like, instead of it just like being you know, happy, you know, oh, I'm so glad I was able to get that. Oh, you wanted that? Oh, that's so great. You know, how people are in other families, I guess, yeah, like Hallmark people. But instead... <laughs> Our family, it's just a matter of, I am going to, I came here with a $15 Starbucks card, and I will leave with a $20 Target card, and then I feel good about that, and then I will have one Christmas, like that, and, that, and it's just like, it's a real healthy way to, to, to get through that, I guess, maybe it's not, but the goal is to win, and to win is to kind of come out better than you went in, you know, get the good gift, and not be left with, you know, with the, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the, you know, whoever the cheapskate in the family was that year. Um, when it comes to the actual gift exchange, you win by giving at least as much, if not more, than when an actual gift exchange is there. So that's one thing. But whenever you're, like, exchanging gifts with your spouse or with your friend or something or, you know, at work and you actually know who's doing it, uh, then we totally shift that from our aggressive, like, I want to come out on top, and then we go in a totally different direction. Um, we, at that point, don't want to be one-upped, right? Anybody know about this? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be one-upped. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to you know, give you know, a gift that was worth way less and then have somebody. Oh, let's get a little interaction because you guys are going to go to sleep on me, that turkey lulling you to sleep. What's the... Uh, have you ever had that moment when you give somebody, you know, a nice gift and they just went out and went all out on you? And now you kind of feel a little, you feel like a schmuck a little bit because you have not given nearly what you have received. Anybody had that? Adam, what did you do, man? What did you do? Oh, that's brutal. That is brutal. How did you feel in that moment? <laughs> you selfish thing. <laughs> yeah, but you felt... <laughs> yeah, right. I think we've all had that before. Somebody else, what's the, what's the most... Un- Sister Polly. Yeah. Oh, she bought me a blow dryer, Tim. Are you kidding? I went all out, man. I remember that. I do use the blow dryer, and so do you, which is the real point. That's a good one. Yeah, thanks. I think we can end there. When it comes to an actual gift exchange, uh, you win that by giving at least as much, if not more. You want to be more generous. You don't want to be the, you know, the goober who, uh, you know, who just, you know. And there's nothing wrong with, like, handmade, you know, like a card or something like that. But, you know. I don't want to give you something that cost me 13 cents in like 40 seconds, you know, for that I, I doodled on, and then you give me, you know, something great, and yeah, that's just kind of weird, right? Like, I feel like a little bit in your debt, and we're real bad about that as human beings, right? We, um, if you have anything, some people love to mooch, you know, and that this is not for them, I guess, you know, and they'll, just, they'll take everything, and they feel entitled to, you know, everything without having to contribute. There is that element of people, but I think a lot of us, we don't like that feeling, right? I don't like that feeling of me having really or you haven't really done something great for me, and then me just 
not matched it, not put in the effort, not put in, like, you know, for a decent person, that feels awkward, that doesn't feel real good. You know, whenever, I have a problem with whenever some people um, do the, uh, do the thing where, I, you know, I buy your meal, like, we, you know, we're out, you know, and it'll be like six dollars or something, as if that, you know, that, I'm not rich, but that's not going to break me this week. So, you know, if I buy you, you know, a, a meal, like what I don't want to hear from you is, oh, I'll get the next one for sure, for sure, for sure. You don't have to. You know, like really, yeah, you, and uh, you're real, real uh, almost like aggressive, like, oh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. I know I don't have to. I'm, you know, no gun to my head. I just wanted to do that. You know, I'm your friend, and, you know, I just like to do that, some stuff like that. Some is all right. And then, and then immediately the response is, uh, I, next time for sure, I, I will get it. And not only that, but we'll go to a better place. And I just feel so, you know, you, know, you didn't have to do that. Now I feel awkward and, you know, you know I, I, I'll, I'll get you back. No, you know, you don't have to do that. Um, what that was is me engaging in a relational dynamic called friendship, community, communion, Okay. You don't, have to, you don't have to pay me back for, you know, the 75-cent soda. We're good. We're past that place in our friendship. Stop acting that way. Like, it, this, this is not like a, you know, a, a awkward merry-go-round of, like, reciprocated, you know, down to the last 10 cents. What are you doing? Why are you operating that way? Like, that's, that's not who we are. We're, we're closer than that. Yeah, I'll get you next time. Maybe you will. That's fine if you do, but you don't have to. And I think that's unhealthy. See, God, but God, God wants friendship and communion with you. And here's where we have to go. We're going to go to our, our passage of Scripture, Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Help us as a church body, help us, um, you know, everybody who's in here today to just really incline our ear to heaven and to hear and to feel what you say and how you feel towards us, God. I pray that uh, maybe somebody will realize um, what it's all about today and just how much you, you sacrificed to be with us, what it cost you and why you did it, God. Um, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Um, I I am already almost done with you know my message. I don't intend to go real long today, um, but I just want to uh, talk to you just just for a few minutes. Sin separated us from that relational dynamic with God. And the Word of God says that 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, uh, and, and for some of you, you got bad theology, and I, I can't fix it, but the Bible can fix it, right? Um, you, you got a bad understanding of who God is and why he operates the way he does and why our relationship is where it is with us. Sometimes, uh, you know, whenever we're in a bad relationship, we need to understand why it's happening. We need to understand, you know, the, the dynamics that are actually at play. If we're ever going to fix something, you got to understand it. And some of you walked in here today with this idea of God as, uh, you know, as angry and imperious and, uh, and distant and looking for a reason to disqualify rather than creating reasons uh, to include and to, uh, to reconnect with us. We really do. You know, um, God, when he looks at you, um, is looking as hard as he can for a reason that he can't have communion. And he, and he provided that in Jesus. Um, you have, do you have anybody in your life... And this is kind of how God's relationship with us was because of sin. Uh, do you have anybody in your life that you, you, you do care about? I mean, you want them to do well, um, but they're toxic. I mean, and it's, it's, it's not that you are being mean to them. It's just you, you want them to be a part of your life, but, you know, it's always with the drugs, and it's always with the alcohol, and it's always with the talking bad about the family and acting this way. It's always with the stealing. You, you can't even leave your, you know, your wallet in the same room because even though you love this person, you just say, yeah. And, and they are making it to where you have to do something you don't want to do. Like, you, you have to kind of pull back, you know, to protect your own self, your own family. I think we've all, you know, met people like that, had people like that in our family. You know, it's, just, it's toxic, and, and you're not making it happen, but it's, it's not a good thing. You know, they're, they're, bringing, you know, they're bringing people around that you feel like your family's not safe, and just, they're wound up in stuff that's not, that's not good. And, and, and you wish that they would make the right choices. You really do. Really do. As a matter of fact, even encourage them to, even try and facilitate that. Like, you know, pray for them and say, and try and, you know, lead them in the right direction. But they just, they just won't. And because of that, you've kind of had to change the relationship and you've had to withdraw because you can't put your family at risk. You can't, can't put yourself at risk. And, uh, and it's just, it, it's a mess. And you just wish they would do right because you want to be in relationship with them. You know what I mean? Anybody have somebody like that, you know? In your family, you don't have to raise your hand, but uh, I think we've all been there to some degree, even myself. Like, I've had people that you know, I wish I could be in, you know, in friendship with them even today, but here's the big deal. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again because it's, it's good stuff. Um, you cannot walk together with somebody in different directions. I've said that again, and I'll say it again after this. You cannot. Jerry, come here. Let's just give him the, you know, the visual. Okay, this is my buddy. I've been walking with this guy for a while now. He's able to. Did I lead you to the Lord? Uh, yeah. When, when was that? Uh, 2010. 2010. And we've been walking together since because he's going the right way. And we, because of that, we've been able to just be good friends. And we've been walking like this, you know, just because we're going the right way. We're both going, we're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to build a family. We're trying to build a community. We're trying to live morally. We're trying to, uh, you know, to, to love God and love his people and get to heaven and take other people. Well, this is good. We can walk that direction if that's where you're going. But if I start walking, you start walking that way, I start walking this way, you cannot walk. Thanks, Jerry. You can go on all the way over there. You cannot walk together in different directions for more than one step. So here's the deal, my friend. You're either going to start going in a negative way or they're going to have to start walking in a positive way. That's, very, that's just logic, okay? Like, is that right? It's, it's, I mean, it seems like you could keep doing it for a while, but, buddy, in the end, you're going to end up giving ground because the really sad thing is, um, you know, it's a lot. Jerry is infinitely stronger than me. However, if he stands up on the pew 
and I'm on the ground, I got the, the base there, I'm going to be able to pull him down a lot easier than he can pull me up. Did you know this? That's just how it works. Yeah, I don't want to get into that, but, uh, but it would be. It would be easier to pull him down than it would be, and that's just how it goes, and that's what's going to happen. Uh, so here's the deal with you, you and God, okay? God actually does want to be in friendship and communion uh, in fellowship with you. He wants you to have a good father-son relationship with him, daughter-father relationship. He wants to protect you. He wants to put his hand of love and grace and blessing on you. He wants he want to be with you. He loves you. He wants all the benefits that he can offer as God uh, to be on your life. And he wants your love and affection too. That's what he wants. But, some, but we're all toxic because of sin. And because of sin, we could not be in communion with him because uh, we were toxic. And it really, it, it's even a step further. I think I can take it a step further. You know, have you ever been around you know, somebody who's you know, severely asthmatic and, uh, and you know, they, they, they're, you know, they have trouble breathing, you know, certainly around any kind of smoke or anything, and then they, you, you, you want to take your friend on a ride somewhere in the car, and they just have to light up and chain smoke in your car with you. See, that's a little more like what we are doing to God. Because God, by his very nature, is perfect and holy. Okay? So, you know, he cannot be in, in, like, in communion. He can't be in direct contact with sin because of not, and just because of who he is. That's how he is. I wouldn't blame my friend who's an asthmatic and say, oh, well, why do you just choose to do that? Why can't I? Can't choose. That's, that, that's what it is, you know. And, and if, you, if you don't want to be with them enough to, you know, hold off on, on a cigarette for a little while so you can spend, you know, a couple minutes in their, you know, in their presence, you know, that's not on them. See, and here's the thing that we, that we understand about God. He is perfect. He's holy. He's pure. He's just. He's good. He's great. But because he is the embodiment of all perfection, of all moral rectitude and truth and justice and goodness. That's who he is. All good flows from him. That's how good he is. You know, we imitate goodness. He emanates goodness. It pours out of him. It's his identity. It's his very identity, his goodness and perfection and holiness. And so I cannot come into his presence and bring sinful you know, thoughts and hateful things and, you know, and, and, and wickedness. And, and my, my, you know, I can't bring that into his presence. Now, he wants me there, but by his nature, that just can't happen. So I hope I cleared up something for you. It's not that God is just wanting to leave you on the outside. He can't have communion with us until the blood of Jesus is applied to our lives. And, and whenever he looked at, at, at a broken, sinful world, at every one of us, here's what he thought. Here's what he said. He said, there's no way that I can be reconciled, that we can have a relationship unless, you know, he looked around all throughout the cosmos, throughout eternity, throughout all of time, looking for a perfect sacrifice. There was only one thing that could unite us with him again. And it was the thing that he held most dear in the world, in the universe. And that was the blood of his own son, Jesus. Don't you dare say God doesn't love you. Don't you dare say God doesn't care. God gave to be with you more than you can even know. 
more than you could ever give, more than you can ever return, more than you can ever reciprocate. And, and that's the truth of it. He gave something you can't even hold. And he gave it freely. He initiated it. He came to us dead in our sins, and he made a way. Jesus was the only way to bridge that gap. And there's two kinds of people in this awkward gift exchange. The first is the one who, uh, who thinks that Jesus doesn't have anything to offer them. I used to think that there was a lot of people like that, you know, who just didn't, you know, thought they were, Jesus had nothing to offer. And I guess there's still some, but I don't really see that that much, you know. I've been ministering for a little while now. I thought it would be, I thought the numbers would be different. I thought it was going to be a bunch of people who were super cocky and just said, I don't need God. I don't care about him. I don't care about it. That's actually just a small fraction. I don't even know anybody who thinks like that. Instead of what I thought that, that people were going to think, you know, Jesus doesn't have anything to offer me. He doesn't have, you know, God doesn't have a gift that's good enough, you know, for me to want to engage him in a relationship. It was the total opposite. A lot of people were looking at their little homemade, and they were saying, I don't have anything to give him. In this awkward gift exchange. And I think that's where you are today because your, your life, you know, it's not totally broken and falling apart, but, but it's, a, it's not what it could have been. It's not what it could be. And you're just like, why would God want me? Well, I feel that way too. I could preach every day and every hour for the rest of my life and do my very best and pay my tithes and act right and do everything. I couldn't scratch the surface of not feeling that same feeling of, I don't have anything to give you, God. I don't have anything to give you. I could, I could spend the rest of my life acting right and doing right, making the right choices, showing up to church, doing the good things, and, uh, and I would still feel that way. He would come, and then he would hand me the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, through his son, through this, the, the, this baby who would become a man who would die, and, and, and he would say, here's what I have sent to you, Emmanuel. God, I, his name is Emmanuel. I named him after what this whole thing is about, which is me coming to you. This is God coming from his place and sending his only begotten son to die a sinner's death, to reach out to you, to instigate, to try to, to, try to reconnect with you. And I would just say, God, this broken life, me and my flaws, my issues, I'm supposed to be the pastor, and, I, and I'm, I'm just as, as confused and hurt sometimes. I don't, I don't have it all together always. But if, if that's enough, then okay. Don't miss out on that gift exchange because you don't have enough to offer him in your brokenness or in your sin. He knew. Whenever we get into a relationship, if you've got any brain in your head, um, it's with the best of hopes and intentions, and you think, surely we'd never fight. Surely we'd never have these kind of moments. Surely that person would never be unfaithful to me. Surely. And then there's a lot of different stories in this room. We've all walked different paths. And some of us have been really hurt. Some of us have done some hurting. And to be honest, we probably all have done both. 
I always just think about it like this. I'm almost done. But I just think about it like this. If I knew every flaw and every issue and every problem that the person that I was in a relationship with, you know, and I knew all the mistakes that they would make, would you still be as excited at your wedding if you could look into the future and see that? What blows my mind is that God was. God looked into your life all the way to the end, and he said, this is still worth having with you. So all the things that you think are a surprise to God or think you think that separates you from God, God sent Jesus because of those things. He loves you and he cares about you. It's an awkward gift exchange for everybody. But the word of God tells us is the free gift of God, the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like I said, gift, gift exchanges are super weird when you've got a lame gift. I think about the prodigal son. Everybody remember that story? It's my favorite. They're all my favorite, but this is my favorite right now. Um, the prodigal, he goes out and he sins and he acts and he parties and he goes, you know, he hits, you know, hits Vegas and just, you know, spends it all, has nothing left, tries to kind of get his life back together and he's living, you know, out of, you know, someone, you know, someone's house as a tenant and he's like in the barn and it's just horrible and all of a sudden he kind of swallows his pride and says, this is terrible, you know, I, I could at least go to my father's house and be a servant because I don't deserve to be a son. And then he goes back, and we all know the story of the prodigal son, right? He goes back to, uh, to, the, to the father's house, and he has his idea of, you know, I, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. That's what he wants to say. But he never even gets a chance to get that out. He never even gets a chance to, he says, that, like he's making that in his mind. He says to himself when he's still in the mess, I'll do this. And then he goes to the, to the father, and the father Number one, I think he can smell what's on him. Just came out of a pig pen. He can see what's on him. So let me tell you this. God knows the brokenness in you. He knows the pain that's in you. He knows the the, the hardship that you've been through. And he knows your issues and your problems that are still probably going to be something that needs to be taken care of as you grow in him. He knows. He can see it on you. You know, it's not like like you're going to, you know, you're going to choose to follow Christ today and say, I will follow you. And then all of a sudden, you know, he didn't know about all your issues. Okay. He sees you and he's still excited to see you. He's been there with every bad decision, every mistake that you have made, everything that you have walked through, every mistake, every problem, every disappointment, uh, every lie told, every thought. He's been there, and he sees it on you, and he still runs to you. That's the, that's the story, man. That, that's everything. The fact that God saw us lost, saw us hurting, saw us not really worth anything uh, at all, and still he sent his only begotten son Not in spite of it, but because of it. God loves you. And so the moment comes, and the father, instead of like negotiating and talking with him and you getting him set up or making some reparations, he just hugs him. It's hard to it's hard to imagine that, right? I will feel awkward hugging somebody when I'm dirty and they're not. I feel awkward accepting love when I don't have anything hardly left in my heart to give. I don't feel great about accepting 
Jesus as my Savior when I know it cost him everything and I have nothing to give him.